Well, for those who may not know me, my name is Nick, and I serve as the pastor of student ministries here at Fellowship Church. And so if this is your first time joining us this morning, I want to extend a special welcome and invitation uh, to you, and thank you for coming to worship our great God together. And as we begin 2024, we are currently in the midst of a teaching series where we are unpacking our church's mission statement as we begin 2024 to take a few weeks to set some vision and remind ourselves of why we here at Fellowship are here. And so let me read that mission statement again, just for some clarity. Our mission here at Fellowship Church, we exist to pervade the back mountain, Wyoming Valley, and the world with the gospel by making disciples who make disciples and who display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of their lives. And so last week, Pastor Tim looked at the first part of our mission statement. And if you missed that, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that. And so this morning, we are going to focus on the next portion of that mission statement. And so if we desire to pervade the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how do we go about doing that? Well, by making disciples who make disciples. And that's what we're going to focus on here this morning is making disciples who make disciples. And so to start unpacking this, um, I would invite you, if you have a Bible, turn it to Matthew 28. If you have a Bible with you, if you look up on your phone, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at a few verses here to begin this conversation. And so as you turn there, just to give you a little bit of context, these were some of the last words that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And if you are familiar with the Bible at all, you might have seen this reference and already started thinking, ah, the great commission. And so maybe you've heard this title before. This is often referred to as the great commission. And so because these are some of Jesus' last words, that tells me that we should probably pay very close attention. These were some of the last words that he gave his followers before he ascended. And so as I read this, I say, okay, these are some of his last words. Maybe we should really pay attention. And so let me read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. And so, what's interesting about this passage is in the original Greek language, the only direct command in this passage essentially is the phrase, make disciples. Jesus' command to his followers was to make disciples. That was the mission he gave to them. This was the command out of all of this in the Greek. The only real, true, bold command here is to make disciples. 
And that was the mission he gave to his early disciples. And this mission extends to us as well. And perhaps maybe you have thought at one point or another in your life, well, what is my purpose? What does God want me to do? Well, right here in this passage, we see a piece to the picture of our biblical purpose. And that is to make disciples. And so when Jesus says this, it's not a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, if you're looking for a hobby or something to do on the weekend, go make disciples. After you're done with your nine to five job, go make disciples. Hey, in your spare time, if you could, it would be really helpful to me if you can make disciples. But this is not an option. It's a command to make disciples. And so if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you desire to follow him, when I read scripture, I see this is the mission that he has given us. This is the command to go and make disciples. And so if you have struggled with purpose, well, let me encourage you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have a mission and that is to make disciples. And as Christians, we are given this mission to go and make disciples. And to help clarify, this mission isn't just for pastors and missionaries. It's for every believer, every follower of Jesus. This passage doesn't say, hey, pastors and missionaries, go make disciples. And everyone else in the church, stand along the road and just cheer them on. This is for every believer. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is your mission. This is our mission to make disciples. It's not a question, though, of is this your mission? The question is, will you fulfill this mission? And so let me be crystal clear for sake of clarity. There are only two responses to the command of Christ here. There's two. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Ignore or accept. Those are the responses. And sometimes we often want to add um, an extra of I'll get to it later. But to choose, I'll get to it later, still means to ignore. Because delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And it's also worth mentioning that the word go in the Greek is the condition under which the command to make disciples takes place. So, Kind of in all intensive purposes, it's essentially saying, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. And so obedience to this command isn't about waiting until a special time. It's about doing this wherever you go and whatever you do. This is the mission given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is why, as a church, we exist 
to make disciples. And so if this is our mission, the question we need to ask ourselves is, well, if we're called to make disciples, well, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And this question is important for us to understand because if we are called to go and make disciples, do you think it might be helpful if we understand what a disciple is? If we're called to go and do this, what does a disciple look like? And I think so many believers struggle to make disciples or maybe are likely to ignore this command because I think sometimes it can be something that's undefined. Let's go and make disciples. Well, how do we do that? Go make disciples, right? And I think there are a lot of reasons why people maybe tend to ignore this command. And I just put together a few here. If we more clearly define what a disciple is, then that means we actually have to hold ourselves to that standard. Maybe we have a skewed version or a narrow version of discipleship. You know, maybe when I even use the word discipleship, you automatically think, okay, that's a coffee with a book for two hours once a week, right? And again, that's a good thing, so don't let me. Maybe we don't have time. Maybe we want to make disciples, but we don't know how. Maybe we're not truly a disciple of Jesus ourselves. Because we cannot replicate what we're not. Or maybe perhaps we just don't see the importance. Again, these are just some reasons why maybe I have seen people choose to not accept this mission. So the question that I want to address this morning more so is what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And so now this word disciple as a definition or at its core basically means a follower. It's a student of a teacher. To say you are a disciple means you are a follower. You are the student of a teacher. And to be a follower implies that you are following someone, right? And so to be a student means you have a teacher. And the truth is, whether we realize it or not, Each and every one of us are all disciples of something or someone. We're all disciples of something or someone. The question is, who's the discipler? Because daily we are being influenced and discipled by something or someone, right? Social media, companies, maybe trendsetters that we follow, Teachers, professors, friends, family, we're all being discipled by somebody or something, whether we realize it or not. And so we often want to become like the people we admire, right? That's part of our hope. And so we are all a disciple of something or someone. The question is, who are you following? Who is the primary voice of influence in your life, because it's not, if you are a disciple, it's who or what are you a disciple of? That's the question. And that's why as a church, we want to be very clear on who we desire to be a disciple of in a world where we're all being discipled. 
We want to be clear on who that discipler is. And we are disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so for me personally, I want to make disciples. And my end goal is not to make more disciples of me, to have everybody look and talk exactly like me, because that would be something else. But I hope and pray that our students desire to become like Jesus, to follow Jesus. Why? Because I am not their savior. I am not their Lord. I will eventually let them down. But I want our students and all of you to know that Jesus will never let you down. He never will. And that's why I, and as a church, we want to point people to Jesus. And thankfully, the Bible talks a lot about being a disciple and what a disciple is and what that looks like. And so there are a ton of different verses that we could look at when it comes to defining a disciple. There's a lot that we could look at and unpack, but there's one verse in particular that I really think kind of captures well what a disciple is for our purposes here this morning to start the conversation of how do we define a disciple? Because again, before we can talk about making disciples, we need to have an understanding of what a disciple is. And so to do that, turn a couple pages back to Matthew chapter four. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter four. This will be our kind of main passage that we are going to camp out this morning. So Matthew chapter four. So Matthew chapter four, let me just read this portion of scripture for us. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he, referring to Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, but they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee was their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so you may read this passage and have this idea of, okay, was Jesus just randomly out for a walk one day and he sees these guys along the shore fishing and he just happens to think, you know what? They'd be really good. Let me, let me just throw it out there and see what happens. Let me just invite them along. But that's not an accurate interpretation. Because this was not the first time that Andrew and Peter have seen or heard of Jesus. It's not even the first time they met Jesus. And so Andrew was actually already learning from John the Baptist. Who first told Andrew about Jesus? In John 1, 35, says the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, one of which was Andrew. 
And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And so if we were to keep reading the rest of John 1, we would see that Andrew would end up spending the rest of the day with Jesus and talking with him and even went to get Peter to meet Jesus as well. And so they had already spent time with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. And so when Jesus extended this invitation to follow him, everything seemed to click. They had heard enough and they dropped their nets and they followed him. They believed and they followed. They had heard and they have seen and they said, yes, we will follow. And so specifically in verse 19, I think is one of the best definitions and examples of at its core, what a disciple is. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so in this short verse, we see three key attributes that help define for us what a disciple is. And so that's what we're going to do now is we're going to unpack this and look at these three attributes. And so number one, the first phrase we see is follow me. Okay. And so the first two words here from Jesus are an invitation. And to accept this invitation indicates our acceptance of Jesus, accepting his authority and submitting ourselves to it. So to follow Jesus, you're accepting his authority in your life and submitting yourself to it. And so to follow Jesus means you're willing to let him lead. Not when it's convenient or when you want to, but to say, you know what? I'm going to actually follow Jesus. I'm going to submit to his authority. And you know, so many people will say, Jesus, Jesus, I want you to lead me. Jesus, I want you to lead me. But like only when I want to be led, right? Don't like make me do things I don't want to do but like lead me, but like only when I'm in the mood to be led, then lead me. And that may seem kind of comical, but how often are we like that? Jesus, I want to follow you, but only when I want to, when I'm in the mood and when it's convenient for me. Other than that, I'm all for it. But to follow Jesus means Jesus leads, we follow. And following means that we recognize and accept who Jesus is as Lord, leader, and master of our lives. And he is the one who initiates and guides. And our response is we submit to his leadership and direction. Because Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus himself said, if you love me, then trust me, follow me. Hear what I've heard and follow it. And to follow means that you have made the decision to give up your ways for his ways, that you seek to become more like him. But there's also a key component here of this mental submission to his authority, understanding now that Jesus is Lord over my life. And so when people confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord, they must know and accept who he is. And that's why in the Great Commission, he starts off by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given 
to me. And so the invitation to follow Jesus means you're giving him the keys of your life. And you're saying, I understand who you are, Jesus, and I'm submitting myself, my life, my plans, my desires, no matter the cost to you. And so to follow Jesus starts with submitting yourself to his authority, to recognize his authority in your life. Which leads to the second attribute here. And I will make you. And so the next five words in verse 19 speak of a process of transformation. And this word make here means to produce, to construct, form, fashion, to make something out of something. To take some clay and make it into a piece of art or a coffee mug for your discipleship meetings. There you go. And so what does this tell us? Well, being a disciple involves Jesus molding our hearts to become more like his. And a disciple is being changed by Jesus. Not only do we have to make this decision to submit to his authority, but then there comes a process of being transformed. And that work happens in our hearts, in our affections, in our lives, our desires, every part of us. And so are you being transformed by Jesus? Are your heart's desires reflecting more and more like those of Christ? Do you look more like Christ today than when maybe you placed your faith in him years ago? Do you look more like Jesus today than years ago? And so if you're going to accept this invitation to fall under the authority and leadership of Jesus, then don't be surprised when he wants to change your life because that's what he wants to do. He wants to change what we love, how we feel, what we do to say, Jesus, I recognize your authority. I submit myself to that authority because I know that you are good. Then Jesus says, then let me lead. And listen, listen to what second Corinthians three says. Now the spirit, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit transformation. And so think about someone that you spend a lot of time with. My guess is that there are things that you say and you do that reflect that person or those people, right? Because if you spend a lot of time around somebody, naturally, you're going to probably say things like them. You're going to live in ways that reflect how they live, right? You probably heard the phrase, uh, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? Because who we surround ourselves with often inadvertently change and influence us. And so if we want to become more like Jesus and we don't spend time with Jesus, then why should we be surprised when we don't look more like Jesus? And so the more we spend time with him, the more we should become like him. And every day we should have the goal and desire to look more like Jesus. Oftentimes I have to ask myself, do I look more like Jesus today 
than yesterday. And this, this is our prayer and our desires. Do we look more like Jesus today than yesterday? And I'm not, you know, uh, trying to suggest that you need to be perfect by any means. But I think many people resist following Jesus because they have this assumption that, okay, I have to clean up my life before giving it to Jesus. But remember, Jesus is the one who changes and transforms our life. If you're waiting to get perfect and cleaned up before falling at the feet of the cross, you're going to be waiting a long time. Jesus is the one who changes and transforms our lives. And so if you've accepted this invitation from Jesus, maybe you've been frustrated that you've messed up at times to say, yes, I, I'm submitting to his authority, but it can be really hard. But remember, Christ-like transformation is a process. It's not just a one-time transaction. I didn't place my faith in Jesus and the next day go, yeah, I got it all together. This is a process. Do I still make mistakes? Yup. Does that mean I give up? No. Because I am a work in progress. And my prayer is that daily, I want to become more and more like Jesus in this process of sanctification to be transformed into the image of Christ. And it gives me hope Because when I look at this passage, who does Jesus call here in this passage? Does he go down to where all the Pharisees hang out and say, hey, I have a job posting for the smartest Pharisees in Jerusalem. That's who I'm looking for. He calls out to the fishermen. He's not looking for the best of the best or the most qualified because Keep in mind, these fishermen, they were not spiritual gurus. They didn't have seminary degrees. They were just regular people. He didn't choose them because they were extra special. He chose them because of who they could become. And so responding to the call to follow Jesus meant allowing Jesus to unmake them and remake them into his image. And that's what he wants to do with us. And so discipleship at its core involves a heart transformation. Have you submitted yourself to the authority of Jesus? Do you desire to be transformed into the image of Jesus? So the third phrase we see here is fishers of men. And these final three words indicate a response of action, something that affects what we live and do. And so if our acceptance of Jesus involves the head and the heart, it should lead to a change in what we do. Because followers of Jesus are not only saved from something, we are saved for something. We have a renewed purpose. And so for their entire lives, Peter and Andrew had been fishing for fish. That's all they knew. And Jesus says, I'm going to change all of that. Well, sort of. Instead of fishing for fish... He says, I will make you fishers of men, mankind, all people. So Jesus was giving them a new purpose to share the good news of Jesus and to make disciples. And likewise, we are called to live on 
mission. No matter what age or stage of life that you are in, this is the mission. There's no, okay, once you reach a certain point or once you graduate high school or after you retire, you're all good. You finish that mission. But our mission is to make disciples. And our mission as uh, making disciples of Jesus is not simply just coming to church every week. It's not just only being nice to people. It's not just memorizing lots of Bible verses and hope that does all the trick. But every disciple is called to join God's mission and to participate in God's purposes. So, church, the world is hurting, lost, and broken. People in our schools, neighborhoods, our circles, people are looking for a hope and a purpose. People are heading towards a real place called hell instead of a real person named Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. And so we, we have to take this mission with some reverence because the cost is far too great. And to be fishers of men is a commissioning. It's a call to go and make disciples. And so if you put all these attributes together, we see that a disciple of Jesus is someone who understands God's commands and submits to his authority, is being transformed by Christ, and lives out the mission of Jesus in every area of their lives. And so to kind of simplify it, if I may, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus with their head their heart, and their hands. And I'm not trying to suggest that this is all-encompassing, that this is everything, but a place to start. But hopefully this just gives you a place to begin. And so with this kind of definition in mind, Jesus says, go and make disciples. And so the next question that comes is, are you making disciples? And how? And I don't just mean, is Fellowship Church making disciples? I mean, how are you, individually you, how are you making disciples? Because yes, this is the mission of our church. It's in the DNA of our church. But this commission is for you individually as well. And so how are you making disciples? And so, again, discipleship is not just simply one-on-one mentorship, Because often, again, when we talk about discipleship, we can have this picture of, you know, sitting in a coffee shop, reading a book together and talking. And while that's great, and I like coffee, that's not the only way discipleship happens. Because if you have that definition of discipleship, you might go, well, I don't have the time. That's not really my thing. I'm not like a sit and hang out in a coffee shop person. Maybe you're like, I don't even drink coffee, whatever. But discipleship is much more than that. So let me give you some examples of what discipleship can look like today. Taking time to learn a guest's name and share with them how thankful we are that they joined us. Being the hands and feet of Jesus by serving in our community resources. Asking a student in the hallway, hey, how can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And then follow up with them on how they're doing. 
getting into the word together through community groups, men's and women's studies. Again, a lot of those are starting up. I'd encourage you to go check those out. Maybe inviting a friend to go for a walk. And as you're walking, ask them, hey, what have you been reading lately? How are you going to respond to that? This is what I'm learning. This is what I need some help and prayer in. And maybe discipleship is inviting someone who may feel isolated to come over and fold laundry with you, reminding them, you know, you are never alone because we are united in Christ. These are all pictures of discipleship. Because at its core, discipleship is helping others follow Jesus with their head, heart, and hands. And I think so often we get so caught up on the method or the means of discipleship that I think we can lose the mindset. And we need to ask ourselves, how can I help others follow Jesus more closely? Because discipleship isn't always this long, formal process. Discipleship can happen in a 30-second conversation outside the cafe today. You might be getting your coffee and somebody encourages you with a verse that they read this week and you felt, wow, that really deepened my faith. That's discipleship. Discipleship isn't this, hey, I want to meet with you for the next year, for one hour a week at this place. Here's the terms and conditions. Sign the dotted line. I'm your discipler. No. Because discipleship is anything that helps someone move toward understanding and obeying God's commands, being transformed by Christ, and living out the mission of Jesus Christ. And so let's not overcomplicate discipleship. And sometimes I wonder if Satan tempts us into overcomplicating discipleship so we just avoid it. But the goal is to help others follow Jesus in every area, every phase of their life. And so as we think about this conversation, it makes me think years ago, there was a college freshman who was a new believer and he didn't know much about the Bible. It was actually pretty hilarious how little he knew of the Bible He didn't come from a discipleship-minded family. This student wanted to follow Jesus, but made a lot of mistakes. And in fact, this student, he had some serious, serious baggage. He had a desire to serve the Lord, but he needed some serious discipleship. And if one were to make a list of qualified people to serve the Lord, this student would have been at the very bottom of the list. However, there were people in the church who began to have this mindset of discipleship. They invited him over for meals, sharing the truth and love of Jesus in their words and actions as they were cooking dinner, sharing what living for Christ looks like as you cook and interact with one another. The people in this church opened their homes for them to see what Christ-like living looked like, both for older couples, younger families with kids running around, everybody in between. The people in this church 
would answer his phone calls at the most inopportune times and open the door when he would randomly show up because he was struggling and didn't know where to go or what to do. And somehow the student found themselves at the doorsteps of someone in their church's home and said, I'm just here. And they would take intentional opportunities, whether it be in the car, going for a walk, serving together, wherever they would take intentional opportunities to help this student follow Jesus with his head, heart, and hands. And these followers of Jesus who all played a part in discipling this student include moms, dads, pastors, grandmothers, grandparents, other college students. All of them were committed to discipling this young man in any and every way they could. They didn't worry about the quantity of time, but they focused on the quality and intentionality of the time that they were given. And this young man continued to grow in his faith, and eventually he became a missionary, and eventually a pastor. And so do you want to know who that young man was? It was me. That's why I can say everything that I just said, because it was me. There were people of all ages and stages of life who were committed to playing whatever role God allowed them to, to help me to follow Jesus and how I think and where my heart is and what I'm doing with my life. And daily, I praise God for those people who took the mission of Jesus Christ seriously. To help play a part in how God has transformed me into who I am today. And these people didn't focus on how much time. They said, what part can I play? And so church, the question you need to ask yourself is, what role am I playing to disciple someone towards Jesus? And I'm not saying you need to spend every minute of every day calling people and praying with them, but what opportunities might God place in front of you to have a mindset of discipleship? Because we need to have a mindset, not just focus on a manual. This is exactly what it looks like. And so here's some thoughts to consider as we reflect on this. One, have you accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you given the authority of your life over to him? Are you saying, I am tired of living the way that I'm living? Jesus, I recognize that you can lead me. And as I do so, I'm actually going to let you lead. Second, are you being transformed by Jesus or are you resisting hardcore? Will you say, Jesus, you are the potter and I am the clay? Or will you be like Jonah when God called out to him, he ran and resisted? And third, are you living on mission for Jesus? Because again, we're not just saved from something. We are saved for something. And you have a purpose. And that purpose is costly. I think about all of the money those families spent on having me over for meals. And it's a debt I cannot pay. But remember how Peter and Andrew responded to Jesus' invitation? They left their nets and follow Jesus. They left it all behind. And I, don't overlook this. These nets were their source of income. 
It was their security, their livelihood. Everything depended on them being able to catch fish, make money, and to provide. And so for them to drop their nets essentially equated to giving up their entire livelihood. They counted following Jesus greater. And we see that with James and John. And so following Jesus is costly. But if you were to read the rest of this book, which you should, I encourage you, I think that you'll find in the end, these guys didn't regret the decision at all to leave behind everything to follow Jesus. And so in summary, again, for our purposes to begin this conversation, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus with their head, their heart, and their hands. And how one, how would you describe a disciple? Well, Someone who is committed to following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and fulfilling the mission of Jesus. And so I would encourage you to think about where in this process do I need to focus on? Where do I need to look at? But being a disciple of Jesus starts with two words. Follow me. And so if you want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that's where it starts. And if you feel as if God is tugging on your heart today to respond to that invitation to follow him, why not just leave your nets and follow him? I would encourage you to come talk to myself, one of the pastors, someone with a fellowship lanyard. They would love to talk with you, to listen with you, to pray with you, and to share with you how they've committed their lives to following Jesus. And if you have made that decision to put your faith in Jesus, then church, know this. You have a mission, and that mission is to go and make disciples. And again, this mission doesn't have any specific clauses in it. And what I mean by that is it doesn't say, once you graduate high school, go and make disciples. It doesn't say, once you have all these verses memorized, go and make disciples. Once you get your life together, go and make disciples. It doesn't say once you have a ton of fun and do all the things you want to do. And when you feel like you're finally at a place where you're like, ah, now I'm going to go make disciples. We are called to go and make disciples now to pervade the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't believe the lie that God is not changing lives right in front of us. We saw it in this testimony this morning, didn't we? Discipleship starts real early. And we had the opportunity to join in on that mission. And so church, I want you to leave today considering this. How can I help others follow Jesus with their head, heart, and hands? As you grab lunch today, as you talk in your community groups, Consider this. How can I help others follow Jesus with my head, heart, and hands? And let's go make disciples together because we, as Fellowship Church, as a body of Christ, we exist to pervade the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley, and the world with the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And so next week, Pastor Carl is going to talk more about what the end goal of discipleship looks like, and that is to display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of your lives. And I hope you'll join us next week as we continue to look at our mission, but focusing on the glory of Jesus Christ. 
So would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I first want to start by humbly submitting myself to your authority, to your leadership. Lord, lead and guide. Continually transform my heart through your word, through the spirit of God, and may allow it to change how I live, how I think, how I interact with those around me. And I pray that for us as a church, as a body of Christ here on Hildebrandt Road, that we would be committed to the mission of making disciples, that we would step into messy places, broken stories, and share the good news, the life-changing news of Jesus Christ. Help us to ask ourselves, what role could I play, whether great or small, in helping others follow Jesus with their head, with their heart, and their hands? May we step before you with even whatever we have and say, Lord, do something with this. As the boy who offered his lunch to Jesus, and he used it for great things, may we stand before you, Jesus, and say, here's my heart. Here's the time, here's where I'm at. How might you use me to help pervade the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley, and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ by making disciples who display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of their lives. And may we leave here today declaring who you are and what you have done. May we look to you, Lord Jesus, for everything and in every way because you are the author and perfecter of our faith. May we look to you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.